0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Well, I uh, have found that you can tell a lot about a person by how they handle traffic by how they handle dealing with traffic issues. I've said this before, but I am pretty much at my worst when I'm behind a wheel. That's not happy time uh, for Alan when I'm in traffic. And I know that there are some people who can handle traffic a whole lot better than I can. I know there are some people who, when they're in traffic, they understand the big picture They understand that there are some things happening ahead of them that they don't have any control over and so the idea of bringing in a tremendous amount of anxiety into that situation doesn't help them, doesn't make their vehicle go faster so they just stay in their own lane and they relax and they enjoy the conversations or the radio or whatever's happening in the moment there. You see, that's not me. What I do when I'm in traffic is uh, I don't enjoy the conversations of the radio in that moment. I'm studying the other lanes. I'm studying the other uh, drivers to find out which ones, am I going, which ones are getting past me. And it really frustrates me when people are not even paying attention and then they're just enjoying a conversation and they're going faster than me. That's wrong. That's just wrong. <laughs> okay, I look at that and that's just wrong. It's unfair. It bothers me. It's unfair. I'm not a fan of it. See, uh, uh, fairness is a big deal for us. Fairness is a big deal in, uh, in the human psyche. We want things to be fair. For those of us who are parents, we see it early on in our kids uh, because when uh, so many circumstances will lead a child to say, it's not fair. And then uh, all, uh, most of us have been teenagers or we uh, have children who are teenagers and the teenage version of that is It's not fair. And then, of course, the adult version of that is, it's not fair. It's the same thing. It just kind of goes throughout life. It's a major part of our thinking, part of how we interact with one another, but how we see the world is this issue of fairness. Fairness, of course, is not an issue when the fairness is leaning in our favor. That's not a big concern for us. I mean, if I'm driving and my lane just happens to be moving along, for whatever reason, my lane is the one that everyone is trying to get into because mine's the one that's moving and shaking. I'm not worried about fairness in that moment. I'm not thinking, you know, these people have been waiting as long as I have. This makes me feel bad. I'm going to back off and let them cut in. Uh, I'm going to just slow down and stop because I feel bad for these people who are waiting. No, 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 no. I'm moving on. See, fairness is only an issue. When others are benefiting, and we're not. So fairness becomes one of these comparison things. We've been talking so far this year about A.D., and I, We've been talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We're doing a year, the year of our Lord saying, uh, uh, what, what if the whole concept of a, a relationship with Jesus is an actual relationship, and there are stages of that relationship? We've been talking the last few weeks about the stage of having conflict with Jesus. And for some, this is a new idea that that we can have conflict. We can wrestle with Jesus. The word Israel means to wrestle with God. It's okay to have conflict with God, to have conflict with Jesus. And if our relationship with Jesus is real, then there will be conflict. What we looked at last week is sometimes that conflict shows up because we don't understand Jesus And so, uh, with a misunderstanding, it leads to conflict. But what if we do understand Jesus? We understand what he has said in Scripture or what he's saying to us or what he's inviting us to or what he wants us to participate in in life. We just don't think it's fair. We're uncomfortable with it. The conflict comes because we do understand him, and it's not fair. Why is he prospering and I'm not? When I compare our two situations, it just doesn't seem right. It's not fair. Why is she not suffering and I am suffering in the way that I'm suffering? When you look at the two situations, it just, it just doesn't seem fair. It's a reasonable concern and it's a conflict that not only shows up regularly for us, it shows up in Scripture a number of times. I want to look at a couple stories this morning. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 20. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 20. I want to take a look at the first of our two stories here. Because what we find a number of times in Scripture is that there is conflict between Jesus and the people he interacted with in the New Testament around the idea of a lack of fairness that many have had and many continue to have conflict with Jesus because of the issue of fairness. So in Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, uh, chapter 20, beginning in uh, verse 1 of that chapter, Jesus tells a story. For the kingdom of of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. This is called a parable. It is a word picture that Jesus makes very clear from verse 1. It's a picture of the kingdom of heaven. This is God's economy. This is kind of entering into his head and his heart in terms of how he does life. And what happens here in this story is that this landowner then hires waves of workers throughout the day. He hires another wave three hours later, and another wave six hours later, another wave nine hours later, and another wave 11 hours later, all working a 12-hour day, but, but, but each of the different waves starting at a later time. And here's what happens in verse 9. At the end of the day, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came, and each received a denarius. Okay, they only worked one hour, and they got the denarius. So, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he, the landowner, answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. It's his right. It's his prerogative. But we read that story, and we could probably identify and connect with the first hired wave, the first group who were, that's not right. That's not fair. How can we trust a God who is not fair? Maybe you became a follower of Christ early on in life, that you wrestled with the truths of scripture and balanced that with your understanding of other world religions and you believed there was one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. And you embraced that truth at the early age of three. And then when you were four, you uh, got deeper in your faith and you got baptized, you needed a little bit of time to verify that this truly is the, the world religion that you wanted to embrace. And then in kindergarten, you were uh, bringing others to, the, to faith in Christ, and your whole class became followers of Christ, and your teacher actually gave uh, her life to the Lord through your ministry. That's a good start to life. Then there's this schlump over here who is, has been a jerk his whole life, has been mocking followers of God his whole life, and just completely resistant the whole journey. But perhaps out of fear and desperation, that person turns his life over to Christ on his deathbed and becomes a follower of Christ at the very end. So are you saying that person will get the same wages that you get after being a follower of Christ when you're three years old? That's not fair. It's just not fair, and it's a struggle. It's an understandable struggle. This is what the landowner is saying here. Hey, I've given you what I said I was going to give you, but it's frustrating. It's hard. It's not fair. We need to be cautious when we stand before God with the concern about fairness. We need to be very cautious when we stand before the creator of the universe and say, you are not fair. Because if he decided to be fair to us with our imperfections and our, what the Bible calls, sins and our mistakes and our need for second chances that have been a part of our lives, that you are here only because of the grace of God, That if God truly decided to be fair, we'd be screwed. I mean, that's the reality of it. And so it's not right for us to scream, it's not fair, when God chooses to bless somebody else in a way that He chooses to do that. When God chooses to bless someone that we believe is not as deserving as us, that's not our place. But it's hard. I get that. There's another story. A little bit different, but similar. It's a story that's probably uh, more familiar to many of you. It's from uh, the book of John, chapter 8. The New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this second story we're going to look at is in the book of John, found in the 8th chapter. And I'm launching into this story in verse 3, chapter John, uh, uh John chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him? See, these folks were obviously in conflict with Jesus. They were trying to set up a trap, and they wanted to put him between a rock and a hard place in terms of how they were going to respond, how Jesus was going to respond to this woman who was brought before them. You see, if Jesus allowed them to stone her, then the people would say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. She wasn't in this act by herself. What happened to the guy who was involved with that? and many who would have been around for this story would have perhaps even have been involved with this woman in the past. Maybe some other women were involved in similar activities. Why does she get stoned and we don't get stoned? That's just not fair. Jesus, is that really who you are? On the other hand, if Jesus just let her go, they would once again be able to say, that's not fair. The scriptures say, I mean their understanding of how to handle that situation in that time is that she was to be stoned. We can't just let her walk away. That's not fair. And then we know how the story goes. Verse 7 When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then the stones, one at a time, hit the ground. And the people walk away. They walk away because what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and those who's gathered and those who gathered this woman is to say, That's not your role. That's not your role to decide who's right and who's wrong and to condemn and to say it's not fair and to jump this in. That's not your role. Careful with knowing what your role is and what your role is not. This leads me to another traffic. Scenario. <laughs> Another, uh, a few years back, I remember being in a, in a traffic situation, and sometimes when I'm, uh, again, at my worst, I think that it's my job to be the traffic superhero, because they're obviously not doing it right, and so I have to put on my cape every once in a while, and solve the situation, because I am, after all, the traffic superhero, and so, in this situation a number of years ago, we were on an interstate, and it was between two cities, so it wasn't you know it wasn't an inner city kind of uh, situation, uh, uh, but I was real close to an exit that I knew if I could get to this exit I could make some back roads and take care of things. Very slow moving traffic. It was moving but it was extremely, extremely slow. I had about a half a mile to go and it would have taken me at least a half an hour to finish off that half mile, Probably, probably maybe even an hour to finish off that half mile. It was that kind of slow traffic. And the frustration entered for me when uh, I was in the right lane and cars who were uh, behind me, a half mile, perhaps even a mile behind me, were driving on the shoulder getting to the same exit that I was heading towards. We can all see it, but they were going off the line and doing what they needed to get over there. So I put on my superhero costume. And I decided to step in front, halt there, by, sh- by moving my car about five feet to the right, uh, onto the shoulder. Because if I do that, I'm making a very clear signal that what you're doing is wrong. And the police, me, uh, is taking action into my own hands. And so I shift over about five feet, and guess what they do? They don't care. I don't have uh, black and white colors on my car. So they drive around my car into the grass a little bit and keep on going. Well, I'm getting more and more frustrated because this is not fair. Here I am trying to follow the rules, and they're all getting way ahead of me. This is an hour of my life, people. And So I look in the rearview mirror, and I see that along, coming along the shoulder of the road is an 18-wheeler truck on the shoulder of the road, 18 wheels, full cab, full box trailer on the back is cruising. I think this is my chance. And so what I think is if I just go out a little bit more, I can more easily stop the truck, duh, and I'm not saying I'm smart, I'm just telling you what happened. if I just go out a few feet more, I can stop the truck. Then nobody will be able to get past the truck. Then the superhero is taking care of the situation, and all will be will be happier. So I go out about 7 feet, poke my nose out. This 18-wheeler truck goes into the embankment down below. You know, 15 feet down into the grass in the embankment. And I, it's not like he rolled over or he had to, you know, steer to get out of my way. He was intentionally getting around me, taking the truck all the way down. <laughs> Big wheels keep on rolling. It was BJ and the bear coming around. He was going all the way down and then all the way back up, and I lost. It was unbelievable. This truck. he The whole time he's... He's doing one of these, and he just kind of, you know, That's his way of giving me the truck finger, I guess, but he's going all the way around and I completely lost. It's not my job to police the situation. And I wasn't an effective traffic superhero there. See, my job is to stay in my lane. My job is to stay in my lane and to not be concerned about what's happening in the lanes around me. My job is to stay in my lane. The problem with traffic and all, and, and, and all that is when we try to sneak around and sneak back and forth, that's when the accidents happen because we're trying to do this thing all the way around. Stay in your lane. We need to be very cautious when we stand before the creator of the universe and say, you are not fair. When we scream before God and say, it's not fair when God chooses to give grace to someone else. Like the story of the woman caught in adultery. God chose to give grace to that woman. And it's a beautiful story. Who are we to say it's unfair when God chooses to give grace to someone that we believe should be punished? That's not our role. That's not our job. See, the Pharisees are struggling because they're saying, Jesus, we have rules. We have rules. And we can't just discard the rules and just throw out grace whenever we want, wherever we want, however we want. We have rules that we need to follow. Jesus, what you're doing is not fair. And they're in conflict with Jesus because of it. Let me just kind of step back with you to look at the overall picture. The overall picture of the story of God that we've been referring to around here for a few years is the whole shebang. It's the overall grand picture story is that God wants to have a restored relationship with us. From the beginning of time, that is the story. God seeking a restored relationship with us. And that relationship is all about love. That whole process is about love. God's love for us. It's not about the rules. The rules are there to help us understand love To help us walk out love. Jesus summarizes all the rules and he says, Love God, love others. The whole thing is about love. And the rules are there to help us understand it. Even the Ten Commandments. The first four are about loving God. The next six are about loving others. All the rules are there to help us with the love piece. That's the purpose of the rules. But what happens is we start to lean on the rules. We get mixed up, instead of understanding that the rules are there to help us with the love, we kind of forget about the love piece sometimes, and we focus on the rules part. And what happens over time, thousands of years, is that people gather around and they're loving each other, and they're trying to understand this, and they have some rules, and then they build on a few more rules, and kind of build up a few more rules, and a few more rules, and they're building rules over there, and so I'm building rules over here, and we're building walls. And so I've got my little section that says, based on my rules, this is the way it all works out. They've got their section, they've got a wall around them, and then we become separated. And we think in, in our wall that we understand we're right and you're wrong. And then we start disagreeing with one another and fighting with one another. See those walls that we, that we build up? That's called religion. That's, what, that's what, a, what a religion is. It's saying we're going to take all the love, we're going to build all these rules around it and say this is our religion and my religion is different than your religion and then we're going to fight about it. That's why so many people struggle with the concept of religion. Some would say that religion has been the worst part of human history that it is because of religion that we have entered into these battles, these national battles. Religion continues to be a major part of why one group fights against another group because these walls have been built up. We have a very negative response to the concept of religion. There's a guy named uh, Greg Strickland who's a volunteer in our children's ministry husband for a while. His wife Denise is here on staff. He told me a couple months ago... That uh, he pulled me aside on a Sunday and said, Hell, Alan, I got to let you know, I threw you under the bus. I said, Oh, oh, great, what now? And so he said that he has a neighbor that he's been trying to love and invite to something meaningful and trying to invite him to church, but his neighbor just uh, consistently says, I'm not interested in organized religion. Many have this resistance to the concept of organized religion, and so Greg told me that what he said to his friend is, "Hey, well then, uh, all is well because we're about relationship, not religion, and it's really not organized at all." That's what he said. So, so I don't know what happened with the guy, but I thought that was a pretty good response. See, Jesus is not a fan of religion either. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He didn't come and say, okay, here's some new bricks to create new walls to separate you from other people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus, once again, goes back to the overall story and said the whole thing is about love. It's about loving God and loving others. That's how he summarizes the whole deal. Uh, And and he's appalled with the idea that Christianity became another wall-building religion. Now the concept of religion is not bad in and of itself because religion is is really just our attempts to understand God and pursue God, but religion can be bad so often and religion can be so divisive and, and separate us. Jesus was not a fan of that kind of religion. You know who he was most uncomfortable with? You know who Jesus had the most conflict with in the New Testament for those of you who read the New Testament? There's a consistent conflict that Jesus had with the religious people. It's the religious people that he fought with that he struggled with. He called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> you like that? I just made that up. But he, he had such a conflict with them. There's numerous stories about Jesus healing people on the Sabbath, showing love on the Sabbath, saying, "The whole thing is about love. Let's understand this. It's not about rules." And then the religious ones who understand the walls that are built up around them say, you can't do that, Jesus. And there are times in the story where it says Jesus is angry. He's not gently disagreeing or trying to adjust and say, hey, can't we all be friends? Jesus is angry with the walls that they had built up. The conflict that Jesus has with people in the New Testament is with the religious The people that Jesus is comfortable with, the people he chooses to hang out with, go to their homes, go to parties with them, are the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the mistakers, like you and like me. Do you have conflict with Jesus, or are you embracing the love of Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong. Rules have their place. I mean, there is is a place for rules. Last week I talked about Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says that I've not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. I haven't come to just nullify all the law but I've come to fulfill it. Basically, what he's saying there's, all this stuff is an attempt to show love. There is a place for rules. This week I had the heart-wrenching pleasure of going to the hockey game on Tuesday night. The last game of our Phoenix Coyotes this season when they lost in game five to the Los Angeles Kings in a heartbreaking overtime loss. And so it's the end of their season, but there are some who celebrate. Uh, The Kings, the fans of the Los Angeles Kings, my wife, there's a number of people who are celebrating uh, that loss. But I got to go to the game because a friend of mine who's a part of our church here, who is with the Phoenix Police Department, he called me up, and he said, about around noon, he said, I got a couple tickets to tonight's game. Well, fantastic. And so he called me up a little bit later, and he said, okay, here's the plan. Uh, It's a 6 o'clock game. There's going to be plenty of traffic, and so why don't we leave at 4.30? We'll get out there, and and that should give us enough time. It's going all the way out to Glendale. Got it, got it. So I hang up on that phone call, and I got to admit, I was a little bit disappointed with that second phone call. I don't know if any of you can understand why. I'm, he's a cop. I'm, I'm thinking he's going to throw on his magnet light on his Gran Torino, and we are going to cruise down to Glendale in about 15 minutes, and then we're even going to get a parking spot right up in front, because he's a cop. And he can do whatever he wants. Yes. No traffic for me. Score. Apparently, they have rules about that kind of thing. They have limitations, boundaries. They can't just do whatever they want. A little disappointed, but we still had a good time. See, there's a place for rules, and that's why we have lines on the road. That's why there are the dotted lines there. We have four lanes. We can't just have an open road and everyone's just kind of weaving in around. It would be chaotic. It would be a disaster. There's a place for rules. They have their place in the whole economy and in the system of how we do life. There's a place for rules, but that's not the point. That's not the goal. The rules are not the goal. Sometimes we get mixed up in that. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Maybe the concept of a relationship with Jesus starts to get so maybe ethereal for us that we slip into the comfort of rules. Saying, I'm not sure I can understand this, but I can understand rules. And as long as I'm more good than I am bad, then I'm going to be fine. Relationship with Jesus, really not sure where that fits. As long as I'm encouraged and inspired and doing more good than bad, I'll be fine. That's not what the Bible says. We think, maybe if if my church attendance is good, not great, but good, And I'm serving somewhere and I'm tithing 5%, which is more than the average person. It's really tithing 5% is an an oxymoron because tithing means 10%. But I'm giving 5%. Then I'm giving more than other people. I'll be fine. I'm fine. As long as I'm not the slowest one being chased by the bear, he won't get me. It's just kind of a comparison thing. Rules have their place. Religion is about about building up rules all around us to separate us from one another. Say, this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to look. But it's not about the rules. It's not about the rules. We can get caught up in that. See, religion is to God what the internet is to sex. It's a fake version of something that is real and beautiful. Now, there are some who who go from the internet to a a significant, meaningful relationship. My guess is that there are some here in this room who met initially through some internet connection, and it's flourished into a great relationship. Fantastic. That's rare because most of the internet experiences lean on the fake stuff, the stuff that isn't real. And there are times where some get to God through religion, and religion is a way of, of... Making better decisions in our lives and making, um, making good choices and increasing our good and understanding some of the rules that leads us to understanding a little bit more about who God is. Then we understand a little bit more of His story and then we understand how we can have a relationship with Him and that can actually lead to a meaningful relationship with God. Religion can lead us to God, just like the internet can lead to a wonderful sexual human relationship. But that's not always the case. Those things are a means to an end. Religion is not the goal, it's a means to an end of having a relationship with a very real God. It's been said that if you wanna destroy an economy, you flood it, flood the market with counterfeit bills flood it with counterfeit money so that nobody knows what's a real $100 bill and what isn't. And so then the whole thing just becomes convoluted and suspect and the whole thing kind of just falls apart. That's what happens when religion gets so mixed up with the invitation God has for us to have a relationship with him. Religion gets in there and, and there's, there's counterfeit experiences that we have with God and when the whole thing becomes, when they're so convoluted with counterfeit stuff, it becomes complicated for us to understand what's real and what's not. What's the real thing and what's fake? Do you have the real thing? Or do you have the fake version? In the New Testament, the Pharisees, the religious, had consistent conflict with God, had consistent conflict with Jesus, because they would say, it's not fair. What you're doing is not fair. We become religious in the bad sense. We become caught up in the rules, in building walls, in missing the point when we are caught up in saying, it's not fair. When it's religion, we say, it's not fair. And we compare ourselves to one another. And we say, and we say, how could God, how could you choose to bless this person who's undeserving? How could you choose to offer grace to this person? who deserves punishment. That's what happens with religion. But with a relationship, there's no room for the complaint of it's not fair. It doesn't have a place in there. Instead, we say, God, thank you because you offered grace to me when I deserve punishment. God, thank you that you are choosing to bless me when I don't deserve it. And we focus on and lean on that part instead of the fairness piece. When we say, God, I trust you. See, the foundation of this relationship, the, the whole thing is about God wanting a restored relationship with us. And it, the foundation of it could, could be uh, packaged as God saying, I will be here with you. I'll be here with you. We see that throughout scripture, a number of stories in the Old Testament and into the New, God says, I will be here with you, trust me. And then our response in that relationship is to say, I surrender, I trust you, God. God says, trust me, and we say, I trust you. At the beginning I said, how can we trust a God that we don't think is fair? How can we trust God if we don't think he is fair? Those are two different things. Either we trust God or we question this fairness. That's what we get to decide. Either we're gonna enter into the foundation of this relationship and say, I trust you, even though I don't understand you at times, even though even when I do understand you, I don't think it's fair. I trust you, creator of the universe. Or we say, it's not fair, and we get caught up in the walls of the rules. This morning, we're going to wrap up by giving you an opportunity to respond to God with a number of different options here in the room. And this is an opportunity for you to reflect on whether you have a religion with God or a relationship with God. And then if you would like for you to reflect on whether you would like to have a religion with God or a relationship with God. So there's a number of different options. You can come to the cross here. There are red pieces of paper if you're new with us. There's a number of different options here in the room. You can write on this red piece of paper, nail it to the cross. Perhaps that's something that has gotten in the way of your relationship with him. You can nail that to the cross today. Up at the front there's unassisted prayer. No one is gonna come tap you on the shoulder. You can come light a candle. The light represents the the light of Christ in your life or in the life of someone you care about. To the right, you can be anointed with oil. Someone on the board or on the pastoral team would be honored to anoint your forehead with the healing power of God. At either of the exits, there's assisted prayer. Folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you about anything that you wanna to bring to the table. Perhaps it's, it's a part of what we talked about here today. Maybe it's something that you wanted to bring and and um, encounter with God here today that has nothing to do with the message, we'd be honored to do that with you. And communion is available in the very back center. For those of you who are followers of Christ, we invite you to come and take the bread which represents his blood and the cup which represents, I'm sorry, the bread which represents his body and the the cup which represents his blood. We invite you to participate with that or you can stay where you are, just reflect, sing, worship, sit, stand, whatever you'd like. Let's pray. Father I thank you that you go way beyond fairness I thank you that you have given us pieces to understand how to love one another through rules and guidelines and stories and examples but all of that is for the purpose for the end of us having a relationship with you and us having a a thriving relationship with one another. And so I pray, God, in these next few moments that you would help us shift in whatever way from religion to relationship. That you would help us shift from it's not fair to I trust you, God. Come speak to our hearts in whatever way you choose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.